0: I said, like, so where? Like, hurry the f- up, guys. What do you guys? You guys are very quick about it. Desperado,
1: why don't you come to your senses? You've been out riding fences for so long now. Oh, you're a hard one. But I know that you got your reasons These things that are pleasing you Can hurt you somehow Let's get to that massive home explosion in Virginia that Don't happened you draw the queen, to queen Virginia, of diamonds, boy to She'll beat you shape. if she's able You know the queen of hearts is always your best bed. Neighbors in Arlington, Virginia, feared this was going that to end badly. Seems to me some fine things have been laid upon your table, but you only want the ones that you can't get. Just after 8 o'clock Monday night, it did. Oh, A massive explosion lifting an entire number. home off its foundation. Your pain and your hunger. They're driving you home. It started in the Feeling afternoon when police lovely. responded to reports that a man inside had fired off a flare gun more than 30 times. That led your to a stand-up up with a SWAT team armed with a search warrant.
2: This world all alone.
1: Then the enormous explosion that shook homes for blocks. You you fear
2: I, know I thought it was actually like, probably like either uh, a car crash or
1: like a plane crash. crash. This afternoon, police identified the suspect as 56-year-old James Yu, who several neighbors say acted how erratically, how covering I'm his windows no in aluminum foil. Police also confirmed he posted online conspiracy theories.
3: Was inside the residence at the time of the explosion, and he is presumed at this point to be deceased.
1: Why Thomas Joyce lived next door and says do he wasn't sentences. surprised by the massive blast. Police you. say you had known no known criminal record, but had a history of filing unsubstantiated complaints with the FBI. Police are still searching for cause of the explosion. Police and the FBI say there is no ongoing threat to the community. This was an isolated case. 10 homes were damaged. No one else seriously injured. Thanks for watching. Stay updated about breaking news and top stories on the NBC News app or follow us on social media.
4: This episode has me thinking a lot about the arc of one's life and the way in which our stories are always invariably entangled with the implacable onrush of history are the ends of our personal histories encoded into our lives from the very first when I say the ends of our personal histories, I'm rejiggering Francis Fukuyama's phrase, which Fergal will use to great effect in this episode, which refers to Fukuyama's contention that, with the fall of the Soviet Union, humanity has passed the terminus. In its ideological and political development, that the Western neoliberal world order is the final stage or political aeon in the history of mankind's striving. But even more than that, in his mind, Western democracy is the apotheosis of polity, the closest that we can get to a perfect system, which is ridiculous, as we know it to be extremely undemocratic and uh, a brutal and uh, genocide-propping-up one through lived experience— whether for constituents in the metropole or imperial core, or whether the dispossessed in the peripheral colonial badlands. This episode will examine how uh, personal, familial, and world histories can intersect. Some of these other questions that keep rattling around my head Can any demise be averted? Are we always conveying forward towards an inevitable outcome, like some assembly line ending in Moloch's gaping maw? Does Death sometimes change his game plan mid-play, on a whim? Does he ever pull an audible? Or is it all deterministic, planned obsolescence, God programming us to fail? Is the slowdown of our wet drives keyed in from the start? To quote a lanky Canadian songwriter that certainly counted James U among his fans, is it better to burn out than to fade away? It may have felt slightly overwrought, but I selected the opening number for a good reason, dear listener. In the mid-80s, with the children of diplomats, intel-analysists, and career army officers looking on, maybe even a future actress or ambassador or two, humming along under their breath what have you a slightly dorky korean kid named james yu sang a stirring rendition of desperado by the eagles during the senior talent show at langley high school James Yu is the main character of this series, and maybe someone with a slight case of main character syndrome. He's our ground zero. I guess you could say he's our bomb and even fuse. Perhaps you can envision this investigation as us circling the blast radius and the charred remains of that Arlington lot as we attempt to recreate the events leading up to the possibly fatal combustion and see if we can't piece together some hunch as to which persons or person set the spark. We're about to embark on a journey deep into psychological and world-historical territory, to try and understand what events, traumas, and thought patterns may have culminated in this child of spies seemingly exploding his own home with himself inside. Or was there something more foul at play? Was the abrupt house discharge in Arlington the inevitable bloody conclusion of spy games that have been playing out between various intelligence and political factions in D.C., Seoul, and Pyongyang for the past 70-plus years? Should we take James Yu at his word? Was there a cabal of white supremacist deep state actors plotting his demise? Was his involuntary hospitalization an earlier attempt on his life, as he maintains, akin to the conspiracy he alleges uh, was responsible for his mother's death at a university hospital in the early 90s? Is his father's anti-communist Korean reunification thesis uh, for his doctorate at the American University that profoundly glowing school? Is his thesis evidence that James' dad was a CIA asset? And if so, did James run afoul of the organization that had handled his father? How do we get from a photo of a relatively carefree teenager rocking out with a wide-brimmed cowboy hat in hand, standing on a stage, to a fateful Virginian evening? flares arcing out of the sunroof of a duplex and a SWAT van bearing down on the front door until the whole structure abruptly goes up in smoke and blaze. Get ready for us to wax serious podcast as we unravel the saga of the U-Family and their connections to the Moonies, Korean and American intel, and Kim Dae-jung's pro-democracy unification movement. Part one will kind of serve to set the stage as we roll out some of our primary set pieces and players, including a backdrop containing some requisite Uh, East Asian history, from whack post-World War II American meddling in Korea and Japan to the World Anti-Communist League and the formation of the Unification Church the sex cult that has long served a variety of trafficking and espionage purposes for both the American and South Korean capitalist political elite, and said two countries' respective intelligence apparatuses, the CIA and the KCIA. Let's get into it. Today we're joined on para-power mapping by two broad-spectrum intellects, two bright bulbs that are going to help us shine a light on the recent incendiary controlled demolition to own the spies in Arlington, Virginia its mastermind, James Yu, an information system specialist, engineer, um, head of global security with Global Crossing, and one-time military contractor, and the pretty sus background of his parents, who will serve as a vertex from which we can launch a veritable fusillade of vectors, bringing all kinds of things into view, like the dark history of the uh, cult known as the Unification Church and American intelligence meddling on the Korean Peninsula. I'm pleased to welcome Alisa uh, Majub, also known as um, at suck on Twitter, who you may have previously heard on the subliminal jihad two-parter Bad Moon Rhizome and their mm. dive into the Unification Church. Um, and... Uh, Elisa grew up in the Unification Church and has been doing the good work of busting cults wherever she finds them. Um, and we also have uh, Fergal Schmudlock from PPM's sister podcast, The Kingless Generation, with us today, um, gracing us with his presence. And Fergal's show is a podcast on the deep history of class struggle paleo-parapolitics, and the demonology of capital, and it is certainly worth the price of admission. Um, so how are the both of you uh, doing tonight and this morning?
5: I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Yeah.
3: I'm doing great myself. Just uh, had a nice bike ride in and uh, enjoying the, the a crisp uh, winter morning here in Tokyo. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me.
4: Yeah,
5: Yeah. thanks for having us. Yeah,
4: thanks for coming on. So I think it'll become apparent um, the the impetus or the thought behind having uh, the both of you on the show pretty quickly. But maybe if you each could uh, take a turn just speaking to, you know, your own um, experience and then also uh, expertise and Fergal, if you could, you know, tell us a bit about Mm -hmm. um, the work that you do and then also... Um, maybe some of the uh, additional insights that you'll be uh, lending us uh, this evening. Oh, yeah, I could just jump into the kind of uh,
3: historical context maybe that I wanted to give us.
4: Sounds um, great. Do
3: you want to do that? All right. Um, first, maybe Elisa, if you wanted to s- situate yourself too.
5: Yeah, I grew up in the Unification Church, uh, left when I was 17. Uh, For a while, didn't look back, but finally did after a certain point and started connecting the dots about, you know, a lot of the weirder shit that was going on in the cult movement. Kind of did some research, discovered a lot of ties to U.S. intelligence and Korean intelligence. uh, You name it, basically anything American access intelligence, because it turns out it's uh, basically a Christo-fascist CIA cutout. And has done some pretty heinous stuff throughout its history. Uh, so I've been trying to unravel that web with a few other ex-Boonee researchers and uh, journalists and people who have been, you know, on that beat. Um, there's quite a lot to uncover there still, uh, but slowly but surely we're getting some of the uh, some of the strings untangled from this yarn of knot, yarn of, yarn knot of yarn.
4: <laughs> 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 no doubt. I've had a very limited experience of this but just via trying to dig into um the interlocks between the U family and the Unification Church and uh, trying to get up to speed on all of this history uh it's felt like um you know approaching a veritable library of uh, babel that web that you're talking about uh that the Unification Church is um situated within goes in so many different directions, and uh, we're going to pull on as many of those threads um, this evening as possible, so thanks so much for coming on, Um, and uh, Fergal, yeah, if uh, we could hear a bit from you at this point, that'd be great. Yeah, so under my government name,
3: I am a professor of medieval (laughs) Japanese literature at a sleepy little university in Tokyo, and I do this podcast, and um, That And I'm interested in uh, the deep history of class struggle, as the man said. And uh, definitely our topic today is part of that, because it's all about sort of how the Cold War was wrapped up and how the end of history was engineered. Uh, In my podcast, actually... um, I should have thought to, you know, you were sort of asking me for things to listen to. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know. But actually, there's, an, there's one called Tulian Doll, Doraemon Star Wars or something like that. That's about the, the kind of narrative at the end of history, which was all about like, we won, you won, you. The kid listening to this won the Cold War uh, by defeating the totalitarians. And uh, a part of that process was that all these different leaders got all the different Nelson Mandela's of the world, some of them more Nelson Mandela than others, kind of got Nobel Prize, Peace Prizes, um, lots of different people. I was mm, just... That's gonna uh, be a theme. Yeah, that's a theme. I was just listening to a podcast on the way in and... Um, it's about Kissinger's war crimes, and one of the places he was doing war crimes was East Timor, and that was one of many places whose leader had gotten a Nobel Prize in the wake of the Cold War, uh, right? And and it, that was part of this kind of, you know, we are the world, we are the children, with literally end of history thing where uh, all these leaders were held up as, you know, the guys who defeated the dictators, never mind where the dictators came from or who installed them. Because it was right. usually us. It was usually the... I use the first-person plural, although I am a recovering American. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> it was usually... So in East Timor, for example, right? It's, that's one of uh, Henry Kissinger's uh, at least three genocides. And uh, the former leader of that was one of many uh, Nobel laureates... That uh, this leader of the South of Korea, uh, after all those dictatorships that America had installed in the South of Korea, had sort of thawed out in the 1990s, right? right. Um, and this, this liberal president that had, I mean, legitimately struggled against these, these American-backed dictatorships was now at the end of history uh, being held up as this Nelson Mandela figure right paragon of
4: democracy
3: yeah which which she was in a way you know but um that it was part of this larger narrative of like we defeated the empire who's the
4: evil empire if you really look into it actually it's more us um but right it's a kind of imperial laundering process of like mm. erecting all of those those dictatorships that you're describing right and then Uh, yeah eventually um yeah kind of uh programming their demise into the project and then putting these sorts of uh figures in their place that um service that that neoliberal uh world order Mm. in this celebratory way
3: yeah yeah and it you know so then the older kind of wackle uh raging mad dog faction is kind of like um, these crypto communists have now taken control, permanent control of our government,
2: <laughs> and they're
3: you know I read a couple books by a guy named Donald Kirk and about the sort of Kim Daejung from uh, so Kim Daejung, Kim Dae-jung is the name of the liberal president uh, who right if you look into the history he actually fought against Park Chung Hee right right and um Doo Hyeon right. The American-backed and Japanese-backed as well, because the American empire in East Asia is really just, in a way, it's the Japanese empire, just revived and kept going under American control. Uh, that's uh, something to keep in mind. Uh, that too, on my podcast, there's an episode on uh, with some Korean literature of a couple different kinds, during the war then post-war. And the post-war, it was all the Japanese imperial... Uh, middlemen just learning English now and becoming American, you know, the buddies of the Americans uh, to run the South of Korea, this new state that that America supported with every year during the Cold War, every single year, all of the American aid to the South of Korea to prop it up uh, was more than the amount of all foreign aid, given by America to the entire continent of Africa during the entire Cold War, all put together. Sounds
4: about right.
3: And nevertheless, wow. the, uh, the more heavily industrialized North uh, had a higher GDP all the way through the Cold War. And it was actually only during the time of the plundering of the Soviet Union that the South of Korea's economy took off and they had their economic miracle. Uh, but you wouldn't know that
4: yeah. South Korea was like the bulwark, right? Like that's kind of how they viewed it. Mm. Is that what you would say? Yeah, that's part of this.
3: That's part of this picture that I have to introduce where uh, Korea and Taiwan, right, are the sort of half, the the wackle half of Korea and well, so the south of Korea and uh, Taiwan are the wackle half of Korea and China, respectively. And those countries pretty much have to always be under brutal right wing dictatorships run uh, with, with a lot of Japanese cooperation and a lot of Japanese know how, kind of Japanese paperclip kind of action. And, yeah. But then yeah. Japan itself is able to, it's one step back from the Cold War front lines and is able to pretend to be democratic to a much higher degree. So that's a, an interesting difference. And to me, you know, I'm I'm less of a Korea specialist, but, uh, you know, when I'm I, looking at things, you know, that's the kind of slope or something. That's the lay of the land generally. If, and nevertheless, of course, Japan, the Japanese government in the post-war, without exception, America says jump and they say how high. It is really not independent of, of American control in almost any way. So then when, you know, propositions that will be coming up regarding Kim Dae-jung, uh, accusations leveled at him by the Wackle people, for example, when you evaluate those accusations, one would want to keep that in mind, the, the prospect that he could have ever been so independent of, of American control, right? But now I'm getting ahead of myself. So yeah, basically at the end of history, You could imagine that all these figures like Kim Dae-jung are like, oh, they fought. If you didn't know anything, you would imagine, oh, they fought the dictators. Does that mean they fought the communists? I bet they fought the communists. I bet they were put in jail by the communists. And then now we have freedom and democracy, right? But of course, it was our uh, wackle dictatorships that, in fact, they were kind of fighting and America kind of kept them alive, kept them around, kept them on life support. And it's kind of that milieu that our, our friend today comes out of. Um, is that maybe enough or do we, do we want to do the, um, the Korean I War? Mean, yeah, you
4: can definitely uh, pack some of that history in uh, mm. real quick. At, at some point, I think just for the listener's sake, we do want to um, illustrate the you know, the connect between like James you on the off chance that there are people that are listening that aren't and even Kim familiar with
3: early history, right? Yeah.
4: Um, with how this is going to connect to the, you know, the central family in this narrative. But yeah, if you want to uh, talk a bit about the the Korean War for a second, and then we can go from there to um, the use. So when World War Two ended,
3: Korea's liberated from Japanese imperial rule. Wonderful moment. The Korean people came together. They formed uh, workers' councils that, because they found that that was the most efficient way to actually organize the people there in their industrial society. And uh, they did that. They formed a government called the People's Republic of Korea. Uh, but then Douglas, General Douglas MacArthur, uh, fresh off uh, losing the Philippines to the Japanese, and then again... Uh, becoming the head of the American occupation of Japan after the war, he jumps right in and divides the country and puts the Japanese imperial uh, rulers of Korea, the local uh, middlemen, back in power. All the militias, all the youth groups, uh, all the area, you know, local neighborhood associations that would go on to commit atrocities and massacres, puts them back in place and crushes this nascent uh, government, which was composed of all kinds of people, right? So Kim dae was part of that at the beginning, right? He was in that, and there are all kinds of, this is an important point to maybe get across right at the start. There are all kinds of people in the South of Korea as well. We don't want to give a, a notion that everybody is some kind of raging fascist or something. Right. Um, right. There are lots of also ordinary Korean people. We don't want to give the impression that, you know, when you see a Korean on the streets, you might, they probably are Unification Church. They probably are.
2: Yeah, absolutely not. (laughs) Um,
3: No, probably not the case. There's lots of ordinary people. Um, Because there's a a huge Korean diaspora to America as a result of all of America's meddling, right?
4: Absolutely, Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. So there's all kinds of people... But yeah, this very far-right government is imposed on the country all through, basically. And there are several coup d'etats, and authoritarian rulers keep needing to be imposed, and so on. And Kim Dae-jung was somebody who became a defector to the United States, fleeing uh, the persecution of these American-backed
4: dictators. Um, So there's this complicated thing. Let's save the exile for a little later, because I think... Mm. I think we'll try to get to that via the use. Um, okay, if that if that's cool. So,
3: what happened that we are having then this uh, this episode, this discussion?
4: Now that I've set the stage. So, one other question that I had for you is Kim Dae-jung jumped around through quite a few different parties, right? When you were describing his like early political career, was he involved in some capacity in that very first administration, uh, or was he working as like a I think he was an opposition figure. OK.
3: I think he was involved in the People's Republic of Korea in some kind of way, and that was a way that he was able to be always red- baited and painted as a communist, you know, all along and and all the way into the 2000s all the way to these Donald Kirk books, right? But what he really is, is a certain kind of liberal figure that was cultivated and shaped and molded. And he represents an entire tendency that becomes a kind of neoliberal kind of, right, end of history liberalism by the end.
4: Right. For a time, his political project was so uh, anathema to the existing power structure and um, more like military junta at one point, right? He was ruffling so many feathers that this would ultimately lead to assassination attempts on his life, correct? Yeah, multiple times. Um, there's a
3: kidnapping, and then he's miraculously saved by a Japanese Coast Guard boat. Oh, yeah, that's I'd, a great story. Th- you could go deeper on that. Angelic. I'm
4: sure.
3: uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah I prayed, mean... right?
4: <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get to that a little bit later, because... My thinking was just that we, you know, to start, we would Let's uh, get to what happened in D.C., right? Right. Yeah. And then just go back to like uh, the 60s and the U families arrival in the States, which we can also just use that as like a diving board off into the additional um, Korean history. Um, I also had a question for Lisa, though. Um, Douglas MacArthur was a UC backer as well, right?
5: Absolutely, yeah. When he liberated Hung Nam, uh, Moon was in Hung Nam prison and was freed by him. So uh, it goes back pretty far. They have a very tight relationship. Um, I wonder if perhaps, you know, Moon was working for intelligence even, you know, before that point. And Mm. there was a, a significant amount of evidence, I think, to suggest that maybe he was... Uh, in jail for potentially spying. There were some FBI reports, uh, that had talked about an earlier arrest of his on suspicion of spying for the South. Um, so it's it's potentially yeah. So he was maybe potentially doing something either maybe for Imperial Japan before that, and potentially got caught up in the American network through that. Or maybe he was already working for the Americans. It's hard for me to say at this point. I, there's still a lot I don't know there. Um, that's just sort of been obscured by the clouds of history. Uh, however, what I can say is that uh, MacArthur definitely has been sort of like a pillar to the Unification Church. He's lauded in a lot of their speeches and stuff. Um, he's played a big part in, in like, their political things. And like, you know... He also was one of the guys who let off a lot of the Class A war criminals uh from Imperial Japan, uh like mm. Sasakawa, Kishi mm-hmm. and Kodama, who uh were then involved with the Unification Church later on down the line, uh, as financial backers and political allies, etc. Um so there's uh quite like this like nexus here at work of basically what you were talking about before, uh, Fergal how um, a lot of Imperial Japan's uh, intelligence apparatus and networks were then inherited by America and used to further that uh, goal. Um, So, yeah.
4: Cool. Well, let's move on to D.C. and start to demonstrate and um, map how uh, this particular family's history is going to intersect um with these larger geopolitical uh dynamics and um spy games that uh you know encompassed uh South Korea and um Japan via the Unification Church and its uh prevalence there
2: 임민군 복만 쳐 나가는 강철의 대원 입살 같은 통장을 본척거리며 임민군 내 나간 자 승리의 길로 입살 같은
4: 4th of this year, um, something (laughs) happened in Arlington, Virginia. Um, And I feel like this would be the most fun uh, way for us to approach it. So uh, I want to ask the both of you, how did you first learn about what happened uh, on December 4th? Um, yeah, we can do it like September eleventh style. <laughs> Where were you? Wow. <laughs> what do you remember? Um <laughs> and if you did if you didn't see the uh the video like when it first broke, yeah, and I guess I wanna be sensitive to your situation, Fergal, because I know we've got this time difference. So um trying to think what time in the day oh, okay. it would have been for you exactly because it was yeah, it might have been the middle of your work day because it was like uh, evening time uh, on our end. But but yeah, so when did you first learn about the great Arlington uh, control detonation to own the spies? And uh, what was your experience there? Did you watch the video? Mine sort of is so pretty
3: forth? anticlimactic, so maybe I'll cover that real quick. All right, go um, ahead. I, I was probably uh, late evening... Browsing Twitter and I saw the para power mapping uh Twitter posts about it, I think is how I found out. So, sorry
4: about that. Oh come on, that's not anticlimactic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope you didn't see the one where uh I had the um, yeah, use some doctored footage to put a, a passport on the uh, on the video. Did, did you see that one, Fergal? I did not see that. No. Uh, yeah, Saudi Arabian uh, passport suddenly landed on the camera lens. They found his passport. Was that the? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> the yeah, exactly. I yeah. put a video together of the uh, passport appearing. Uh, okay. H- how about you, Elisa? Uh,
5: yeah, I um, think similarly. I was scrolling through Twitter. I believe um, I haven't seen the video of the explosion. I don't particularly want to watch it uh, knowing that, you know, somebody probably died there during that uh, may, have. may have, it's yeah. possible. We're not sure. Nobody really knows. Um, is he walking around Arlington dressed as a gingerbread man as, as of right now, it's possible. <laughs> Who knows? You know, there have been some mysterious gingerbread man yeah. sightings, but um, yeah, I, I was just scrolling Twitter basically. And yeah, I mean, I guess it's, you know, a messy place.
4: So what do you all associate with Arlington? Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I wouldn't have had many thoughts about the place beyond it being a suburb of D.C., um, having a kind of immediate hunch like, OK, this is a pretty um, spooked up locale somewhere where, you know, you might have uh, attaches, um, Bureau of Boys, uh, F- FBI agents living next door, or um, maybe somebody from uh, ambassadorial uh, staff member or something, who knows, uh, living next to you. Um, and then, of course, there's the Arlington Cemetery. Yeah. Uh, but what it, what do you all think of when you think of Arlington? Does it bring any, any anecdotes to mind? Definitely d- government spooked up, uh, you know,
3: think tanks... Aren't there think tanks there? I mean, it's it's a suburb of D.C., so. Definitely. Military bases yeah. as well, maybe?
5: Yeah, I, uh, I used to go to school in Virginia, and I just remember, like, the people who were from around that area were just, like, typically their families were pretty rich, uh, had, like, you know, good jobs that, you know, paid a lot of money, uh, a lot of government positions, a lot of doctors, a lot of lawyers, that kind of thing.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, it's that kind of town.
5: Yeah.
4: It is that kind of town. Um all right, so we've uh we've worked in the explosion at this point uh on the listener side, you're probably starting to get a sense of what we're about here. Um maybe this will be James Yu's uh Oppenheimer. Uh maybe his Twin Peaks uh the return episode 8. Um, I'm I'm not sure whether either of those analogies are going to land, but I think what we're going to try and do is do a sort of circular narrative style situation where we trace back from go from the explosion at 844 Burlington Street all the way back to you family in exile here in the States, the UC's early missions and uh, spread stateside. The Bohi Park and uh, VOA connection. Uh, eventually, James' arrival on the scene as a little baby, um, and then you know, work our way up from there uh, to his adult life, uh, his business and information systems management studies, his career as a one-time military contractor work with Global Crossing, um, and then his psychic break and the, you know, conspiracy theorizing that he uh, got caught up in. I got to introduce something at this point. Yeah, this is kind of interesting and also just indicative of James Yu's rampant paranoia, but he actually some monthish ish before, um, he seemingly detonated his own home as uh, SWAT were um, attempting to breach the premises with a, a pile driving arm on a van. Um he actually posted on LinkedIn about the uh, the Lewiston shooting. Um and he was talking about how let's see, I'm gonna actually read this. So the detonation happened just just before the earlier
3: this month, right? At the beginning of this month. But earlier he had posted Yes. Yeah, okay.
4: Yes. So December 4th is uh, when the detonation Mm -hmm. happened. And then he posted a month ago um, talking about October 28th, 2023 um, on his LinkedIn. And I'll just quote it. So he says, main shooting, question mark, CNN's subtle, hateful messaging against James U. and as a proxy Asians Mm -hmm. in uh, brackets, see time reference. Um, in quotations, eight uh, forty-four, uh, end quote, and headline, quote: He didn't expect to be found alive. End quote. James U resides at eight four four North Burlington Street. Now, the one thing that I'll add is um, that some weeks or a month after the Lewiston shooting, we had another shooting in Burlington, right? Um, with a with someone who similarly um, has a pretty interesting background, had been working at these behavioral modification schools. Uh, and I'm talking about Jason Eaton, the individual who, you know, uh, in Burlington attacked and, and shot three, uh, Palestinian students who were walking to a family member's home. Um, so all of that is like a little uncanny, um, not trying to get too woo woo or read into, uh, the synchronicities too much, but, um, It is kind of strange that uh... he posted this half-coherent LinkedIn missive trying to warn anyone who would listen, basically, that this subliminal messaging getting disseminated by mainstream media was teasing his death, his imminent, uh, targeted death. So he basically thinks these CNN broadcasts are predictive programming for upcoming uh, mass casualty or assassination events and then i also can't help but point out the strange fact that a mere couple weeks on from this post there would be this shooting uh, like i already mentioned in burlington vermont and you got to admit that it's just a little hair raising that uh James Yu, this former NAVC military technology contractor um, who's seemingly paranoid to the point of having um, peripheral vision hallucinations of trench-coated FBI agents. It's a little off-putting that this offspring of possible spies believes that uh, he's being communicated to through the television, through these kinds of subliminal messages, but not only that, but that he believes, uh, the communication is related to his address and that it is foretelling his imminent demise, the climax of this long, simmering, uh, deep state conspiracy to whack him because of uh, the kinds of things that his parents were involved in, apparently. And finally, you got to admit that it's a little strange that uh, a couple weeks on from him making this post, there would be this uh, shooting in a city, a small city, university city in Vermont, with which his uh, street that he lives on shares a name, it's very likely just a coincidence, but it's also a helpful window into uh, James U psyche and his hazardous fraying nerves. I mean, I would say it's also characteristic of the person who um, James U is. Obviously, yeah, I love that. the fact that he believes there's this subliminal uh, messaging. He's got this. He's got this liberal. He's very much
3: a liberal, like he's into Russia Gate and everything in his conspiracy theories. But right, yeah, but he's so noited. You know, it's not often <laughs> that he's you see a liberal annoyed. that is so noited, <laughs> and I think this has to do exactly with the end of history liberal like high-ranking, top-ranking liberal milieu that he actually
4: comes from. Mm. That's a little thesis statement I oh, want yeah. to get out right now. I think you're right. Yeah. I agree. That kind of mess of contradictions as far as his own schizo paranoia is concerned is being informed both by the the politics and those political connections to people like uh, KDJ that he inherited from his parents. And then also, as we're going to get into the obvious or the seemingly um, apparent fact that mm. at the very least, um, it's looking like his mother was involved mm. in spying, likely his father too. It's of course, impossible to verify that or prove that without a, you know, without a sliver of a doubt um, just to but, just to drill the just to orally kind of drill the the
3: identities into the listeners uh mind uh through the oral medium of podcasting KDJ uh is short for Kim Dae-jung that's that liberal president that I was talking about right uh he's often referred to as well just as right. DJ
4: so KDJ Kim Dae-jung key figure thank you for that yeah and uh yeah, so we'll get into how James used parents, um, which is, and Fergal, correct me if I fuck up the pronunciation, but Ki Hong. Yeah, Yu, so is it, that you okay? know, in the
3: Korean order, it'd be Yu Ki Hong. Yu is the family name, Ki Hong. But it, you know, it's very common to to reverse them, which is uh, the, <laughs> creates a fun situation, right? Like we we're, we're looking through all different yearbooks and stuff, and we're finding a guy who whose name like i think his personal name was like Yu Jim or something but then that looks when you say Yu Jim Kim his family name putting the family name last in the american fashion then that looks like oh is his family name Yu and we might think oh is he related you know is this actually Jim
4: Ie James Yu so <laughs> confusing at, at times i've i've certainly had a, a number of uh, slip ups in the in the group chat um
3: why? there's this whole interesting thing about reversing the names. It's only the wackle countries that do this, right? It's kind of, China doesn't do this. Base China is just like fucking memorize Xi Jinping. All right. But like, um, yeah, fascinating stuff, the reversing. Okay. so. Going forward, do you
4: recommend... It's so widespread that it like... I was just assuming that we would go with how the American coverage is uh, is referring to them. But do you recommend that we do otherwise? I would say embrace the chaos. Embr- let's embrace the chaos. Okay. We'll...
3: <laughs> if, if it, <laughs> okay. If it seems like it might be confusing or something, I'll just jump in and, and straighten it out once again. You
4: know, it's fine. That sounds good. All right. <laughs> yeah, we'll have uh popcorn uh reminders. Strong armed Achilles. Yeah. I feel that. Well, we were just getting to uh James Yu's parents' names, which is ki Hong Yu and uh and Anna Shin Yu. Mm. Um and yeah, I mean I don't want to talk too much about their biographical detail yet necessarily because we were gonna just focus on um the explosion first. Um I think I got the point across about how James, you, uh, was believing that the CNN coverage of the Lewiston shooting was, um, broadcasting subliminal messaging about the fact that he was being targeted for assassination. Right. Hmm. Did, did that targeted come across? Individual. And if it didn't, I've at least like reiterated yeah. it now. Yeah. So he's, he believes he's a targeted into this guy. Is- That's like, one of the essential things that yeah. you need and to do. And no, and he's not just noted like you and me. He's like really paranoid,
3: like kind of off the defense. Yeah. Very paranoid. To the point of covering up his uh, windows with tin mm. foil. And he was lining up his possessions on his roof for some reason as well.
4: Oh, I didn't I didn't even see that. Yeah. That was in something the neighbors said. Yeah. Interesting. Um oh, and the other component of him believing that he's being targeted. As we're going to get into a little later on, it's um, intimately connected to uh, his parents' involvement in these uh, liberal unification faction uh, political projects um, and probable spying. But then there's also this um, strange like racial component to all of it as well, where he believes that he's um, being... Like stalked by white supremacists and targeted because he's Asian specifically. And in that one LinkedIn uh, post that I was quoting earlier, I'll just read the last uh, couple sentences. Further, they are conspiring to make James Yu's death look like, uh, and he gives the numbers, 988, and he says, C. Robin Williams. So that assuming he's implying Robin Williams was uh, assassinated. That's a good question. Yeah, see if you can find something on that. I have no idea. Robin Williams supposedly committed suicide. So is that for... Ah, uh, right. Yeah, I think you're right. For like someone who's uh, suicided themselves, uh, police code 988. Um, I don't so, know off the top yeah, of, of my head, that. but that sounds right. It's mm it's ringing a bell um and then he says see my march 3rd 2021 linkedin post showing cnn messaging uh and then in quotations assassinate asians ah. end quote with picture of squinting jfk <laughs> which yeah i don't. I, I mean, it's just, um, it's difficult to wrap your head around this stuff um, sometimes. And then under that, he says, this is not a joke. It's a,
3: it's a um, phone number, apparently 988, that you can call. It's like 911, but it's for mental health crises. Yeah. Uh, Suicide mm. and crisis lifeline.
5: So he mm. was basically saying, I'm not suicidal, They're- He's saying somebody's trying mm, right. to kill me. Well, in the
3: exactly. anti-Asian racism thing, uh, while it is much more of a real thing that I'm sure is happening, um, I'm not in the U.S. Uh, more of a real thing that is happening than RussiaGate. Uh, it, like RussiaGate, it's a liberal talking point, and that's part of the. Again, want to highlight the distinctiveness of this guy. Um, somebody this noted. Absolutely, it, he's a strange.
4: Yeah. He's a strange brew. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Yeah. No, not at all. Yeah. It is very unique. His, um, his liberalness,
3: uh, right. Anti-Asian racism is definitely something that liberals are posting about. So he's like, I would see that as him mixing that with his noitedness, which comes from him legitimately being closely connected to actual moving and
4: shaking. Yep. He has real reason to be noited. Uh, And we may not even get to this yet today. We've made one mention of it, his involvement in, uh, or his work for Global Crossing, which is a company that was embroiled in some very interesting, uh, scandals in the early 2000s. Um, and also has connections to the Maxwells, to Enron, all kinds of stuff. Um, so that's just to foreshadow that a little bit, um, Let's move on to the uh, explosion a bit, though. Um, maybe just some of the basic details. So I paraphrase some of this, but we could also just like take turns reading a bit of this um, WJLA coverage of the Arlington explosion, um, if y'all have the outline handy. You could just go ahead.
5: Okay, I found it.
4: Okay, cool. Do you want to start us off and then I can pick up after you read a bit of it? I don't think it's very long.
5: Yeah, sounds good to me. All right. Arlington, Virginia, 7 News. After an earth-shaking blast in an Arlington neighborhood Monday night, police officials are giving a clearer picture of the sequence of events leading to the explosion that happened hours after officers first made contact with the suspect. Officers were first called to the home on North Arlington Street around uh, 4.45 p.m., after being made aware of flares being fired into the sky. The suspect has since been identified as 56-year-old James Yu. A male suspect discharged a flare-type gun from the residence more than 30 times. Officers attempted to engage with the suspect without success. A search warrant was ultimately obtained to allow our officers to secure any weapons to ensure that there would be no ongoing threat to the community, said Arlington County Police Chief Andy Penn. 7 News obtained video of those late afternoon flares from Sarah Will Hoyt, who saw this happen with her roommate. We were talking about how odd it was and how unsafe it was, Will Hoyt said. Officers agreed. <laughs> they left and returned with body armor and a warrant to seize weapons you may have had. Other neighbors heard the commotion from officers trying to bring you into custody. You can just hear the police say, we're not leaving until you come out, James, said Sam Kim, who lives knew the explosion. In the hours...
4: I think that's the golden retriever. I think that's uh, the guy that um, the video we're going to get to a little later that I'll probably even plug in here. Um, Sorry to interrupt. No, you're
5: good. Yeah, um, definitely do that. Um, In the hours after that initial 4.45 p.m. call, officers worked on getting you out of the house. However, the situation quickly escalated. At this point, officers experienced what is believed to be multiple gunshots from a firearm coming from within the dwelling pen, said. As the suspect began discharging several rounds from a suspected firearm inside the house, officers could not locate the source of the suspected gunfire or its intended target. Officers began to deploy non-flammable, less lethal chemical munitions to multiple areas within the residence where the suspect was believed to be hiding. Um,
4: so... What does that read as for you two? What are uh, non-flammable, less lethal chemical munitions? I feel like I read some kind of gas
3: Yeah. at some point. Okay.
4: And then I was thinking, is,
3: it, is the excuse then given for the explosion or maybe the real cause, actually the flare gun or something or some, some source of flame within the house, actually this gas was a flammable gas?
4: right and, yeah and it caused the explosion i think that's a, an interesting point something for people to mull or chew on um as they're listening cuz there are some there are some definite contradictions in some of the yeah the media narrative that's been constructed around the the specific details um and the sequence and then also how the explosion occurred um exactly but um yeah if you want to continue Absolutely. lisa At
5: some point, fire officials said that the gas to the home was cut off and the situation reached a point when fire crews evacuated neighboring homes around 7 o'clock p.m. The fire department personnel absolutely saved lives in anticipation of what could happen and unfortunately what did happen, the fire department personnel evacuated neighboring residents. The evacuation of the neighbors saved lives, said Arlington County Fire Assistant Chief Jason Jenkins. And for those not Close enough to warrant an evacuation, they were asked to shelter in place. That's
3: so weird. I would just like to highlight again: they shut off gas to the home; they're pumping some kind of
4: gas into the mm. home.
3: Just note that.
4: Oh yeah. Not only that, but another possible contradiction in all of this is the fact that the fire departments um, preemptively evacuated various neighbors in the in the surrounding streets. As well as his housemates, right? It was like
3: a duplex and he had tenants living in the other half of it. That's a whole other thing. The
5: tenants he thought that were after him.
4: Yes, who he believed were spies. Ah, um, Wow. (laughs) Who who he believed were these white supremacist spies who he was accusing of like purposefully um, (laughs) contorting or even like deliberately putting on weight. Uh, At one point, he has a LinkedIn post about how he believes that the Um, the wife, I can't remember her name at the moment, but, um, the woman living next door has like deliberately added on some like 150 pounds or something, uh, for espionage purposes. Um, so yeah, that's a whole other aspect of it. And, um, apparently that according to fellow neighbors, that family is now, uh, yeah, houseless, um, and people are talking about it as if it's like, uh, a, a pretty tragic situation. Let's see. Do we have any of the article left? Oh yeah. Basically they asked, uh, people to shelter in place. So they both evacuated some houses anticipating an, an explosion, which seems noteworthy, uh, IMO, and then they also were telling people, um, in that community in Arlington, um, in nearby neighborhoods to shelter in place. Um, They were also directing people away from the scene. Uh, And then maybe if you want to just read the bit about human remains at the end there too.
5: Yeah. Um, Police officials said that you was inside the home at the time of the explosion and they have found human remains. They are still waiting for the office of the chief medical examiner to identify the body that they found, but they are presuming that you died in the blast.
4: RIP maybe. Yes, RIP, maybe. Um, so FBI's David Sundberg added, the individual Chief pen referenced um, had previously communicated with the FBI via phone calls, online tips, and letters over a number of years. I would characterize these communications as primarily complaints about alleged frauds he believed were perpetrated against him. So that's also just gonna foreshadow some of the materials we'll get into later. These persistent communications from you to people as varied as uh, Comey. Um, I love James. Special Comey.
3: Uh, <laughs> I love James Yeah, he's Comey. a big
4: James Comey fan. <laughs> Comey, uh special counselor all the way to um, I mean, it's actually really wild, like looking at the documents from his um, legal complaints that he filed, uh, because he'll list the actual personnel from like all these different FBI branches um, and like local stations, fusion centers, so many different three letter agencies and uh, personnel appear to make appearances um, in these documents. And there are versions that you can find online that aren't redacted, that even have phone numbers, which I would be very curious to, like, call those numbers to see if they're uh, Um, the actual numbers for um, the people that they uh, supposedly can reach. The last thing in this article, though, would be... The fact that uh, detectives maintained that, well, I'm not sure if this is actually sourced from the detectives, but uh, WJLA, ABC 7 News, says that the gas was cut off before the explosion. Um, So that also seems like an important point as far as trying to uh, get a grip on what exactly might have transpired. How did this explosion occur? Uh, Maybe we should talk about the video with the, the kid. At this point, um, because he speaks to this. Um, and Alisa, you watched the video, right?
5: I did, yeah. The interview, yeah.
4: Yeah. One of James U's purported neighbors, um, and he's maybe even the person that filmed the TikTok vid that was making the rounds. I'm not certain on that count, but, um, you know, he gets pulled aside by a local news crew they start um interviewing him and i think he do you remember does he say something to that effect about the gas having been turned off i can't recall i
5: cannot recall either um what i do remember about it is that he's just like visibly very very excited to be talking about it and like excited <laughs> that it happened even like, it, it's really, it's oh, yeah. eerie and just kind of strange, and he's got some sort of very weird energy that he's giving off about it, just like... Bubbly. He's very bubbly about it. Who's that excited about somebody dying in an explosion? That's ridiculous.
4: Yeah, it's very strange. Gosh. So, setting aside anointed reading what would be the charitable reading of it would we say that it's like the adrenaline of the situation caused him to Could just be your average dc man on the street I don't
5: know. yeah he's probably just some guy who's like wow i saw something violent today i feel alive because i guess that's the yeah. thing <laughs> americans right, right. <laughs> but i i don't i don't know like that's the most charitable i'll probably give him for that <laughs>
3: uh but then like Uh, Some of the other neighbor, I don't remember this clip that, uh, and I didn't get a chance to look for it this morning when I woke up, but, uh, I remember some of the other neighbor testimony and I just remember somebody being like, I couldn't imagine something like that would happen here. Like to us where we, you know, you, you get this sense of like a little bit of a privileged enclave. This is a a place where like, you know, people like us live. Uh,
4: city on a hill kind of
3: yeah (laughs) i mean so i was gonna say maybe this is as good a time as any um i have lived in a couple of college towns around the new york area and i get a, a strong vibe i remember like sharing late night taxis from the train station or something uh and also even having a landlord that fit the kind of James, U description of a burned out kind of husk of an elite kind of Mm. think tanker, kind of finance guy, you know, I had a landlord that was from a different wackle country in East Asia. And he had, it turned out uh, his his Stuff not like garbage exactly, but like all his stuff was just piled up to the ceiling in the corners of the room of his whole area of the house. And in the center of the living room was an enormous like Mao Zedong size blow up, blown up black and white photograph of his mother who was dead uh, at age like four or five. So his young tragic um, mother um who di- uh, she didn't die at age 4 or 5 but you know uh, this yeah, was a picture of her at that age
4: right so like um he I was... thought you were going to say that uh she had died when he was uh, 4 or 5 no but he
3: was very a very damaged individual and he was living off of his savings from having been a finance guy in the city and there's just millions of those guys around a place like that right and they become landlords off of that money, right? Definitely. Um, in fairness, one of the testimonials was saying that James U was an awesome landlord to this one guy. Although, obviously, what you were saying about his current tenants uh, living in the same house as him, uh, not so good.
4: Yeah, and that's not the only example of there being animosity or um, some uh, back and forth with tenants uh, in the various court documents and uh, like legal filings or complaints or whatever the correct terminology would be. I mean, there's like a smattering of them. Um, But he makes reference to this huge feud uh, that he had with um, one set of his Arlington uh, tenants, something that would be interesting to try and figure out. And this is not something that we're going to be able to do um, for this initial part at the very least, but to try and figure out how many properties he and his ex-wife um did own at the height of their uh, you know, landlording. Um, then the other thing that I just wanted to tag off uh what you were saying, Fergal, as far as James, you kind of fitting this archetype, is that he did inherit these properties from his parents. Um So, yeah, these were inherited properties uh, that they had purchased. Um, And, yeah, I think everything that you were saying, like, fits him to a T as well. Because as we'll see, once we eventually work our way back up to closer to the present day, um, he seems to have some kind of crisis, mental breakdown, uh, right around the time when he's working for Global Crossing, shortly before global crossing is investigated and he loses his job um and then i think he goes through you know i think for the remainder of his life presuming that he is deceased um he's going through like intermittent joblessness um and he becomes a recluse as well uh in fact after his Uh, wife leaves him he at a certain point in these uh court proceedings or Documents you'll see that he describes or shares correspondence where it's revealed that from like I think starting in like 2016, somewhere in the late teens, he literally stops leaving his home, uh, presumably hmm. until, yeah, what recently happened. I mean, it sounded almost that dramatic, but we'll we'll get his back neighbors to it. say that about um, him too. He never, yeah, leaves. exactly. Yeah, uh, was there anything else that you wanted to share about your personal experience of that? uh landlord typology. Oh, I was so glad to
3: get out of there. Um yeah, he he forbade me to take baths because he thought it was luxurious. <laughs> um uh, even though I are like you, you use less uh water actually, you know, depending on how long of a shower you take,
5: I don't know. How was he going to like tell if you took a bath? Was he going to be like, "Oh, I I hear the water running." <laughs> like
3: yeah, yeah. He wasn't, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't have anywhere to go so often either. Like sometimes he would go onto campus. But what I discovered was that you can get a room midway through the term if you go to the housing office then, because people mm. move around and rooms open up. So I was able to get on campus. And it was great. Hell yeah. But awful experience.
4: So you, you extricated yourself from
3: that situation i tactically made a tactical retreat from the situation
4: <laughs> very good yeah. very glad um yes well we're glad you're on to uh bigger better and um comfier uh was, less uh, frustrating living environs oh yeah oh yeah well but very
3: illustrative of that kind of thing you know so um, I don't know if I need to anonymize. He was he was from Taiwan. He was from the, the Taiwanese Wei Shengren uh, class, which are the people who came to Taiwan with Chiang Kai Shek, right? Oh, interesting. So he would have been his family would have been one of those families that came over, right? And and was ruling it in much the same way that sort of the Korean dictators would have been ruling, uh, were ruling Korea. Yeah. Very interesting. And he was a little, he was a fail son who got a career in finance for a while. And while he had that, he bought up property in these college towns and uh, set the stage for him to be at least a landlord when he crashed and burned.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's how it works. Yeah. The system uh, works in that way that mm. when, when such uh, finance bro fail sons do uh, crash and burn, they, they mm. have a pretty soft landing of passive income yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so let's see i think we skipped around a little bit um there were one or two other things uh regarding that one video and uh the kids description of the event that i wanted to like emphasize or make note of i i am going to plug in uh some of that video i don't know if i want to include the entire interview that may be like a little long um mm-hmm. but let's see uh so a couple things I'll point out. One, he does on a couple occasions say they when talking about uh, the Flares getting shot, um, which probably, again, doing the most mm-hmm. uh, generous or charitable interpretation or at least noited interpretation is probably nothing, probably just a slip, or maybe he's trying not to misgender James U. though he definitely um. knew who James U. was. So that also doesn't necessarily add up well there is there is video of of flares going up over the house
3: from like oh yeah somewhere else in the neighborhood although we don't see it coming from his hand
4: yeah the only videos i've seen are from one of them looked like they were maybe recording on a soccer field Hmm. do the two of you know is george mason near near arlington I have a vague memory of someone saying something about the George Mason soccer field, but I'm not Let me look positive of
5: I feel like I know where it is. Let me double check.
4: Sounds good. I'll
3: vamp while you do that. Locals would know. That's a possibility. Yeah. yeah.
4: Oh, and then the other thing. So the kid um, who may be named something kim we read it earlier in that wjla story um but he also says something to the effect of um idk if he was trying to draw attention to himself or what uh and then he goes on to describe how james U has been cooped up for years um which we've talked about he he drops some hot goss about uh, the huge dispute between him and his wife which is also interesting that he would know that if James has been you know cooped up but then again yeah mm. I don't want this to come across as He too might be annoying. screaming it on the street too I don't know in addition to posting about it well he says that James never leaves and at one point he says he's never seen James but I think there's a simple explanation mm. for it which is simply that he he jumped on LinkedIn like so many of us did after the explosion happened and he read uh, some of James's shit Mm. or at the very least, that could be an explanation for how he would know about the dispute. Um, If he didn't do that, that would contradict his own version of events because he explicitly states in that video, um, IIRC that he has never seen him or met him before in his Mm. life. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Oh yeah. The biggest thing, like the biggest tale, at least according to people on Twitter who were speculating about this, um, was the way in which he talked about the exchange of fire between James and the police. Um, so he kept reiterating how the police were using, uh, non-lethal weapons. Um, mm. yeah, there were just like a couple examples of law enforcement speak, uh, that seemed to be slipping in Um, and his, he says that he claimed that the police were screaming non-lethal, non-lethal when firing back at James after James, according to him, was shooting at them with an AR or a quote unquote uh, high caliber weapon. Um, That was Mm. also how he referred to it. All of which is to say that, Yeah, I'm not totally convinced by the Boy Scouts performance.
0: We were just like, you know, standing out looking and uh, thought that that was kind of weird, knowing that the cops were gonna be pulling up sooner than later, and uh, sure enough, they did. He didn't open up the door. Um, They were like trying to get him out for quite some time. And uh, it was taking a while, so at that point, we we got disinterested, went back inside and made dinner. And uh, three hours later, at least, you know, we see the SWAT truck arrive. And when the SWAT trucks arrived, you're like, all right, shit, you know, it, things are getting uh, escalated at that point. Yeah. And uh, so we we got a uh, – we ended up going up to the top of my roof, which had, like, a direct line sight uh, to the place. And they moved the the SWAT truck to the house, in front of the house. And uh, – what's up, camp? And uh, then, um, you know, they were trying to motion him to come out, motion him to come out. Please, please, please come out. We don't want to hurt you. And then they ended up driving the, the – um, the SWAT truck through the front door with, like, a pile-driving arm, and, um, at that point, he started firing, uh, a weapon back, I mean, I, I believe it was, like, an AR, it was a high power. it was a high-caliber weapon. It wasn't a flare gun? It was not a flare. They shot flares at the beginning, he was not shooting flares near the end. Uh, they started returning fire with non-lethal weapon, with a non-lethal, uh, they kept saying non-lethal, non-lethal, they are shooting a shotgun back into the windows, blasting out the windows a little bit, and then, um... At that point, they reversed the truck back. They kept trying to yell to him. He sounded like he was trying to say something back, but they were like, look, we can't hear you. You know, please come out. Please come out. We, you won't get hurt. And um, at that point, they re- they reversed back, and they, they changed the angle of the truck, and they were going to try to take out the window, the front window there, tell them to back up from the window. And uh, at that point, they were driving forward to the window, and that's when the whole place went up. I mean, just... Absolutely. I mean, you saw the video. It was...
1: So what's going on through your mind as you're shooting
0: this? I mean, dude, it's blank. Are you kidding me? It's like pure shock. You see that and you're just... I mean, you have my wife next to me, you know, my pregnant wife next to me sitting there. uh, You know, my buddy on the other side, she screamed. My other buddy's just screaming, no, you know. I mean, it's just like, there's no real... I mean, there's no explanation to it. I mean, mean, I'm still in shock about it, to be honest, you know. Uh, So...
1: So, over time would you say this all started? Like,
0: like four. When he started throwing the flares out Shooting the, the, flare, shooting the flares over the soccer field onto, like, George Mason. Okay. So, I mean, it was, like, guaranteed. I, I mean, I don't know if he was trying to draw the attention to himself. Yeah. You know, this guy's been cooped up for years. All right, so he's closed off his windows. No one's really seen him for years. Yeah. He had a big, like, dispute with his wife. And, like, there's... So you
3: guys are familiar with the man who lives in that home?
0: Never seen him. Okay. Never seen him. Apparently his name's James U. though. Okay. Because uh... you heard it. Not, not only that it's not, well, we, we found out on linkedin on its linkedin and stuff and yeah. he was he was talking about the neighbors which i do know the neighbors yeah. and i feel terrible for them i mean their house is like gone the neighbor's house well it's a duplex right so you have two attached houses like a, you know it's a townhouse you know pretty much and the entire structure was is, is gone like like way gone i mean like it was i mean uh, i don't know what level of you know explosions that he had there i i believe he probably did the uh like I mean, I, th- I think he filled the entire place up with gas. I think he let he let natural gas run, you know, either broke a pipe or something. Let it run for a while and then lit it. And I mean, there was, there was nothing else that I I would know that would be able to create an explosion like that. Can you believe you actually witnessed that? <laughs> Hell no! That's was crazy. It was crazy. No, I mean, we thought I mean we thought it was awesome just to watch him, you know, watch watch the vehicle go. Like it got it, that even got escalated to that point, you know, and. Uh, to then once he started shooting back though, and there was not it was not flares like they were there was an assault rifle being being so shot back. So
5: you're saying shots were fired from police and
0: from not, police. From police. not from police. Police did shoot non lethal like and they kept okay. yelling non lethal, non lethal, and it was from shotgun shells and they were blasting shotgun shells in there. I don't know what it was, but they were yelling non lethal when they did it. But he would definitely was shooting a weapon, a a, a gun back when, when they went through the door uh, with the vehicle. Okay. Um,
1: are you gonna go to
0: bed tonight? Yeah, it's gonna to be a while. What's your wife doing?
3: You're expecting
0: wife. She's cleaning. She's cleaning right now. Okay. In the dark because we don't have any. We don't have any uh, light right now. Oh, all is out. All power. Pa- yeah, I mean, there's there's a big train There's a big pole right there with the transmitter. Um, that went up as well. So, I mean, Dominion's here, so hopefully we'll be able to get something back here shortly.
5: All right. We'll keep us posted. Thank you for coming out. And for sure. on picture.
3: Is that all the puzzle pieces just
4: laid out? Did we figure out?
5: Yeah. So George Mason is in Alexandria, which borders on Arlington.
4: Awesome. Yeah, so I think that must have been the the GMU soccer field then. That sounds right. Um, Elisa, did you have any other takeaways from the video that, or, or thoughts related to that that you want to get in before we move on, or should we keep
5: chugging? Uh, I think I am good.
4: We've talked about how he's accused his neighbors of being spies. Um, his wife
3: and sister, he was accusing them of conspiring against him, and also that the, the oh, hospital yeah. where they tried to com- they did commit him. They actually committed him, right? Oh
4: for yeah. A period of time. yeah for five days. He believes there's a whole conspiracy there, um, and that's part of the story. And then maybe the lawyer he was using to
3: sue a lot of these people as well, sort of issued cease and desist like was threatening to get a restraining order on him i think and then he
4: claims he claims
0: do you the know two if that's in came... arlington
3: or because i forget the exact name of the guy
4: i was uh, asking if you know whether that was in arlington or rochester um because some of know. that so he was living in rochester for a number of years um seemingly in the lead up to his divorce uh and then he moved into the duplex in Arlington um in these it must have been this last handful of years um after he and his wife did split we can try to double check that later um but mm-hmm. i was just curious that background Cause, too yeah, yeah cuz he definitely was he was getting into um he was getting into it with a judge in the new in new york near rochester um, but he may also have been well. His
3: lawyer, right? His lawyer was like ordering him to not contact him again, uh, and then, and then the lawyer, and then in in the wake of that, he claims that two men came to his house who claimed to be from the FBI. But I could I thought afterward that they just had a folding wallet with a green and blue FBI thing, and I think they weren't really from the FBI, and I think yes. they were sent to me by the lawyer who keeps telling me not to
4: contact him that part just to clarify though that's in rochester so that like that okay. occurred like f- six or seven years before the actual uh explosion so I he's believe. been
5: having um, these feelings of okay. paranoia for quite a long time <laughs>
3: oh yeah <laughs> Very much so. Did we want to, so would it be good to step back in time then to the Rochester stuff and get deeper into all of his different lawsuits or?
4: Maybe we should go even further back. Do y'all want to go all the way back to, um, to like the 1960s, talk more about, uh, the UC, talk about Korean American, uh, intelligence stuff. Let's do it. All right. Um, that would be Elisa's wheelhouse then
5: yeah okay so uh where exactly would you like me to start
4: um i mean i'm just scrolling through the outline right now you can start wherever maybe to kick things off some kind of basic background about the history of the uc in the 50s and 60s uh like leading up to when the u family would be coming here to the states does that seem like a good idea and I'm yeah, open to alternatives. Yeah, sounds good.
5: Um, okay, so yeah, uh, by the late 50s, the Unification Church was starting to move into the United States uh, and Japan from South Korea. Um, I believe 1959, it might have been 58, was the year that uh, the group started to come here to America, at least uh, on the West Coast uh, and to Japan as well. So the church is obviously sort of this multi-pronged, multi-faceted organization that uh, is on one hand a religion, but on the other hand, a business empire, on another hand, a huge political force, what they would have been doing at that time was probably recruiting new membership, uh, because they were just growing, just starting to expand. Uh, and a lot of the membership that they would have recruited would have been probably they, they had several different types of people I think that they liked to sort of recruit. Some of the people were sort of like hippies who they wanted to uh sway away from hippiedom basically and uh sort of plug back into right wing networks. Other people were people who were in political uh and uh what's the word diplomatic positions. Uh, people who had just sort of like any sort of like influence, basically. Uh, And then, of course, obviously, a whole bunch of, you know, your average citizens got caught up in all of this as well. Um, But at that point, I think they would have been very much a growing movement, uh, starting to recruit, um, take on new people. And
4: thank you for for all of that. Um, I I have a couple questions. So based on like some stuff that I was reading, uh, I was seeing that it looked like the first two missionaries to come to the States were the Kim family, is that correct?
5: Uh I I believe it was the Kim's and the Parks.
4: And then Park was like the third, I think. Okay. I don't know the I don't know the full names of the uh the two Kim's. Um it's Bohe Park, right?
5: Yeah, Bohe Pak, Pak Bohe. Yeah, he was a uh, a big a big guy early on and throughout the movement basically. He was sort of like uh Moon's right-hand man. Uh was involved in a lot of the political sphere of things, uh World Anti-Communist League, uh which is basically sort of like the sister organization to the Unification Church, but more political, uh if you can even say that. I don't know if I would say more political, just more outwardly political. Um uh Yeah, uh, another early uh, member to come to America was Young Eun Kim, who helped uh, to translate Moon's Divine Principle into English originally, but she also changed it a bit to make it more accepting to American audiences. Uh, she worked with the sociologist John
4: Laughlin.
5: There are several with very similar names
4: that's my memory but you, yeah. you listed off <laughs> a lot of like, lofts lift
5: and loft loft and
4: yes uh, lotus
5: so something yeah i don't there know are like there, are, there are five. a ton of them and i swear to god as a person with like adhd and autism i'm like i can't keep these guys straight um
4: it's understandable yeah uh My head has literally been swimming in all of these names. Solidarity. I can empathize with you there.
5: It's like, I know who did what sort of, but sometimes I can't remember the name or like where it was or where I got the information. And it's, there's just like so much going on. Uh, but that's just sort of, I guess what you deal with when you're trying to absorb and like figure out stuff with this much information input. Um, it's only to be expected. Um,
6: it's a big oh, literally,
5: board. yeah. I feel like uh that episode of Always Sunny with Charlie, and he's got, like, the strings up on the board, and he's, like, totally coked out, and he's just, like, oh, looking yeah. at it like, ah! Uh, I mean, like, I'm not totally coked <laughs> out, but I am, like, ah! Cons- consistently! <laughs> so... Where can I go back into the narrative from here is, I guess, where I'm asking.
3: So Korea in the 1960s, right? Yeah. yeah. The Park Chung-hee dictatorship would have started, right? Is it 61, 62? Kim Dae-jung actually was elected to office for the first time uh, right before that. And then Park Chung-hee takes over and bans his party. I think that's why he goes through so many different parties because his parties keep getting yeah banned.
5: that would make sense right? yeah um so yeah he does jump around a bit um but finally sort of ends up in this like liberal faction okay so one of the obvious things that the unification church is a proponent of is korean uni- reunification which is something that we will hear a lot more about later because of yu's dad ki Hong yu and uh his work with kim dae jong uh, and he was a large proponent of unification as well, albeit from maybe more of like a, a liberal standpoint. However, um, it's very clear that it was important to South Korea and to the U.S. empire that Korea uh, is reunified, but under sort of the banner of the South, uh, and not under communism <laughs> by any means, because they can't take that. Oh, yeah. So there's this long lasting and uh, intergenerational emphasis on uh, reunification. And that's why it's so important, not only to the Korean Central Intelligence Agency, but to the American Central Intelligence Agency, because Korea is seen as this huge bulwark against communism. Um, so that's sort of where the church steps in a little bit more. Uh, they do a lot of work, uh, a lot of peace talks, and. Uh, around reunification, um, but obviously without the communism. Uh because again, that wouldn't be tolerable to the United States.
3: So this this would be in like the nineties or is this the nineties or the ox uh,
5: then? Yeah, this would this would be that later they're doing on. All that? Uh yeah, yeah, towards sort of yeah, in the nineties was when uh I believe the church hire of officials I think it was Bohi Pak, he went and met with Kim Il sung. And uh
2: Right. oh th- uh, yeah.
5: So there are a couple of uh, articles that have come out, too, about, like, the Unification Church then supporting uh, North Korea's, like, weapons program and stuff through money Back Channels, etc. Um, but more recently, yes. Again, yeah.
4: More recently. Sorry.
5: I Sometimes I can jump around a little bit to explain the past. I apologize for that.
4: You're good. We don't have to be super rigid about it. Mm. So this is surprising.
3: The reason why this is surprising, of course, is that throughout the Cold War, the Moon Organization, together with Mm -hmm. WACL, right? I mentioned WACL. That's the same as World Anti-Communist League, which Elisa mentioned, right? Um, They were a kind of para, you know, they ran like paramilitary groups. They staged coup d'etat, like the uh, Indonesian coup, right? Uh, This is a broad anti-communist kind of... Um, a lot of kind of like fascists from the wartime are in in the core of this organization, right? It's kind of like the Shadow Reich. Yeah. Uh, parallel in many ways. Another part of the Wackle apparatus, of course, is the Ukrainians, yes. right? O-U-N-B, O-U-N, O-U-N-B. And in this way, you know, the, the Farms Wackle series is highly Absolutely. recommended for this. Ukraine is kind of a parallel to Korea in the West. Those who did collaborate with Nazi Germany and then after the war under, you know, sort of different circumstances, uh, you have Ukrainian factions that are kept warm by the Anglo-American establishment, uh, though without their own country, as in the case of the Republic of Korea in the south there. Uh, but the Moon Organization, right, is right. this like religious uh, adjunct to that or, you know, like as a religion It looks to me in some ways that it's fulfilling a a role similar to the Vatican in the West, Mm, right? Because a church, a religious organization can suddenly move money and people around the globe very quickly. It does a lot of moving, it seems,
4: throughout its history. Rat
3: lines, that sort of thing.
5: And incredible amount of moving and rat line stuff yes
3: yeah so the uc like you would know more details elisa about like isn't there things about they move weapons they're even maybe involved in the patrice lumumba hit
5: yeah so i don't know so much about that specifically but there is quite a lot of talk of weapons trafficking drug trafficking obviously the human trafficking component um you name it basically whatever there is to be trafficked money uh, jewels you know like whatever there is to be trafficked the moonies have probably had a hand in trafficking it uh i mean
3: isn't there like there's like girls sent to be dancers from korea to america the and they all each had uh, yeah, little I angels a lot of questions okay about yeah. little
5: angels and uh not a lot of answers yet
3: Just as an illustrative detail, I just raise it like they each would have had, you know, a bunch of cash or jewels in their suitcases or whatever. And it's a way to move things. Absolutely. Um, I think there's something in the farm series of tying the UC to uh, the assassination of the one Chilean diplomat right before the Chilean coup d'etat. He was blown up with a car bomb in Washington, D.C., right?
5: I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Oh, yeah. There were details in the in the farm series about Tying that to the Moon Organization too, uh, as just a para power uh, general principle of para power, uh, a religious organization is a is a great organization to wield covert power because you get a lot of free labor. You get a lot of free labor from people. You get a lot of cover. People leave re- religious organizations alone and don't subject them to public scrutiny.
5: There are legal reach-arounds, too. You don't have to pay taxes, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. It all just sort of like makes for this perfect vehicle for uh, imperialism. Whole nine yards. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Espionage, cover, wandering bishops would be examples of that. To bring it back to Korea in the early 60s, though, I, I have a couple questions for you. So in the early 60s, Uh, where was the UC in its growth or in its life cycle, so to speak? How would you characterize it in that way? And then also, um, are there specific interlocks between WACL, those WAC anti-communists, and the UC that we can get into? What kinds of overlaps, if any, are there between um, WACL, World Anti-Communist League, and the UC? Uh, be it like on an organizational level or personnel or more just by virtue of, you know, Wackle being active in Korea or in Japan at the same time that the UC is as well. Uh,
5: So I'll answer that second one uh, first because I have already forgotten the first question. Uh, Sounds good. But um, yeah, so Wackle and the Unification Church are similar and interconnected on multiple levels. First of all, a lot of their membership was the same people uh second of all uh they were ultimately working towards the same goal uh and that goal would be the eradication of communism third of all they were both obviously plugged into these vast like fascist right-wing networks of money espionage you name it uh yeah uh and right you know I would also say that World Anti-Communist League was sort of like I would say they're similar in that they are one maybe a little less obviously is you know a vehicle for this sort of covert action uh, one a little more obviously because how much more obvious can you get than you know a bunch of like ex-Nazis and Stasi guys in a room uh <laughs> <laughs>
3: Isn't there, isn't there? At, like, I think Sasaka mm-hmm. Yoichi, right? One of the um, founders of the post-war Japan, really, and a, a big backer of the Unification Church in the early yeah. days, right? There's pictures of him with them. There's pictures of Kishi Nobusuke with them. They go to parties together. They give speeches, all of that. Um, and of course, the Unification, yeah, the Unification Church really supports the Japanese ruling oh, party, right? Um. But then uh so Sasakao Yoichi didn't he kind of like uh organize the Unification Church, deputize them to spread sushi to
5: America? Um so And there's a yeah, whole series of sushi restaurants. Most of the fresh seafood industry in America at this point is owned by Unification Church companies. So basically no matter where you're buying sushi, you're sort of oh, buying wow. into it uh it's you know the companies that, know that transport the fish the wow. companies that fish the fish uh you know it's not just the restaurants it's all throughout there, you know? <laughs> uh, the moon the moon organization has a, a lot of navy wow. uh, contracts and stuff too so they're very into the shipping industry and the uh, boats in general uh <laughs> and mm. the submarines apparently uh right yeah there was right. this, there was this one incredible uh, thing I found while researching for this for moon was literally like, yeah, families should live underwater in a submarine. Like, okay. That's a little wild even for the church. Let me be honest. <laughs> uh, but he said that, uh, mm. yeah. So that's, that's, that was like one of the church's many ploys for money is that they have basically control of this vast, uh, like a corner of the sushi market or the fresh fish market here. Um, and basically like all aspects of its, uh, basically all aspects of the business.
4: Speaking of Japan, you, you furnished us with some of those overlaps, um, as far as Wackle and, uh, the UC is concerned. I was thinking of one other example, and I think I got this from your, uh, appearance on SJ, um, where the three of you were talking about this, isn't, um, Shokyo Rengo, A like a paramilitary that actually became the official Wackle chapter of Japan. And it was like started in concert.
3: Yeah, they did. It's interesting that they chose Shokyo rather than Hankyo. You know, Hankyo would mean anti-communist. They don't go with that. Interestingly, like anti it sounds maybe too like anti-cooperative. We don't like uh, collectivism at all. They won't go with that in, in Japan. They did. Victory over communism for their branding, but it's just a translation of
4: Wackle, actually. The way they translate it is slightly Mm. different as International Federation for Victory Over Mm. Communism, but okay. So, but yes, it's the same thing, essentially. And it it was started in concert with like, like Yakuza was involved, right? Uh, Was it Moon himself that participated in that whole, that whole uh, shebang?
5: in 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 the creation of that uh i believe it was in... in
4: japan yeah in
3: japan
5: um i you know what off the top of my head i don't
4: know details i i could have sworn moon he, was, yeah, he I was, he was, was yeah.
5: involved in, in mm-hmm. as well i the creation of world anti-communist league now uh
3: moon was coming here all the time though right yeah and... And his and his son was coming here, you know, like r- suspiciously right before the Abe assassination. That's a whole other can of worms. But
4: yeah, what I'm seeing is that he actually established uh, Shokyo Rengo in 1968. Um, moon did. Yes, Moon did with Yakuza.
3: He was involved in yeah. founding the political yes. wackle arm. of Yeah, there you go. There you go. Not surprising. Um, some suggestions, we've touched a little bit on sort of what his ideology is. It It is anti-communist, but in terms of what they're for, you know, this detail about living in a submarine mm. is no. really interesting. It, it's interesting how cults like the ideal end state of humanity usually ends up being in some kind of limited cage, kind of uh, confined space where people are ruled over uh, my, the minute details of people's lives are decided by kind of hierarchical authorities, which and the hierarchy terminates in a true father and a true mother in this way. I I often think that you can see this as an extension of the imperial, the Japanese imperial system ideology from the wartime.
5: What I would say that? that that would make sense. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, I, I have a, a route of research that I need to go down, um and so I know that America obviously has inherited quite a lot of research from Imperial Japan's unit seven thirty one and other human experiments um nah. yeah i I do Absolutely. wonder if there were sociological experiments that were akin to that that were going on that maybe uh, mm. also got you know shoved down the line information wise. Uh, when Imperial Japan sort of, like, merged forces with the United States. Uh, And I think that that might be part of that, in my opinion. I I could be wrong, obviously. Uh,
4: Sorry to interrupt, but just to clarify, so I'm understanding. Are you saying, like, the actual creation of the UC itself?
5: Yes. What would be, I think, the most consistent with my research is that there is some sort of uh you know obvious psychological warfare sort of mk ultra aspect to the creation of the church in and of itself as a proponent of psychological warfare uh through a religious lens uh uh, seeing as Mm. how many sociologists and anthropologists and people worked with the movement and were also protective of it people like eileen barker uh etc yeah, she she was oh, I believe pretty protective of the movement. Yeah, so um, or was it Margaret Singer? I think it was both Singer and Barker, or maybe it was Sanger. Once again, I'm having I'm having issues with names because oh, wow. apparently when people have names that are similar, I, I don't know the difference.
4: <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it happens to all of us, the best of us. Right. All these oh European my gosh. names. It's well,
5: so. like yeah. I can't do it. <laughs> I really can't. Yeah. Um.
3: But that's fascinating that the like anthropological sociological establishment academia would have been running interference for this. So that means that the UC is like MKUltra before MKUltra is what that would mean. It's like the predecessor.
5: Right. Yeah. Um, And I do wonder if potentially the early uh, church in America was studied for MKUltra. Again, a lot of those files are just not something we're ever Mm -hmm. going to be able to see. Um, So I don't really have any way of confirming that one way or another. However, uh, it would be consistent with pretty much everything that I've learned about the movement uh, and also consistent with sort of things we've other other psychological operations with religious tinge that have been tried uh, for similar purposes I would say so
3: oh you know what for for future research <laughs> just a little note uh, one book so one person that, would look like uh, a, another predecessor you want to go even deeper there are new there's a new religion in imperial japan called mm-hmm. omoto and its founder is deguchi onisaburo and there is a book in english about him by nancy stalker called prophet motive prophet with a ph mm. right
5: <laughs>
3: great pun yeah great rabbit hole to go down sometime in the future
5: okay absolutely
3: may have been even during imperial japan there were different yeah. things right of course inoue nisho had his own kind of cult followings i mean this is a right you, this maybe goes back to like prehistory uh in some ways right secret society dynamics and yeah
5: you can, you can sort of trace the lineage of this sort of like cultic religious warfare stuff through the ages and it's fascinating to look at Um and it's Mm, crazy to think of
3: ruling classes.
5: Right, literally. Specifically. Yeah, specifically, because it will always be the ruling classes Mm. who are trying to uh psychologically manipulate the people under them who they are oppressing, so that they either uh comply or just die.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Follow the true father, the true father, (laughs) and the true mother. But that has its own unique, unique flavor, right? right? The honorary family, the honorary parents kind of aspect of it.
5: Like, even though uh, in my case, I did meet uh, Moon and his family a couple times. But it's like, even if you didn't ha- ever meet them, oh. you were supposed to sort of prioritize them above even your family. Like, they were your true family. You have your mm. family. But it's like, they're a step above that because they're basically God. Um, because Moon was basically Jesus, you know, to the church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And um,
4: right. yeah, yeah, he yeah. said that. <laughs>
5: yeah. yeah.
4: He He positioned himself as the Messiah. Jesus failed. Jesus was crucified.
5: So he was doing a better job, apparently, Uh, but not really because he was fucking everything up. Uh, Yeah.
4: Mm. This is maybe a good point to segue into a couple things. I wanted to interject with one thing, which is just that you were absolutely correct about Eileen Barker um the yes. the book the making of a Mooney, yeah. she like defended um just okay. so the listeners know that you were not wrong on that point and then i also wanted to ask so like we're starting to get into the belief set or uh yeah the the set of beliefs of the uc and um in a second i want to get back to the early 60s and kind of transition into the u family's history and them coming over here mm and how uh their lives intersect with some of these very prominent um unification church members uh stateside but before we do so the first question that i posed to you was how uh would you characterize like in unification church history what was 1961 like for the church um like where was it in its uh growth cycle at that point um and then the other thing would also be, uh, if you could maybe just give us, for those listeners who might not have any familiarity with uh, the UC whatsoever, if you gave us the quickest primer on what some of the most basic beliefs are, Yeah, absolutely. that might be useful.
5: Okay, so first question, uh, in, in 1961, the UC would have sort of been... In its beginning stages, kind of just taking off, Uh, obviously trying to recruit new members, probably the beginning stages of some political action and uh, whatnot. Uh, I don't know exactly how many members there would have been at that point. I'm guessing probably hundreds. I could be wrong there uh, give or take, obviously, who knows how many. Uh, but by the time that the church got moving and rolling, it was, you know, like towards the seventies and eighties, there were thousands and thousands of members. Uh, the, the church would always inflate its numbers, I believe. But at the same time, there were quite a a few people that were involved by, by the time it was at its height. Um,
4: so like in 61, Uh, Because I think Bohipak comes to the U.S. like in the early 60s, right? I don't remember the exact dates, but like, would you characterize it as kind of like a few key apostles sorts of situation?
5: Yes. Yeah, it was a few key apostles who were sort of spreading the word in specific places. And then it was starting to grow from there. Gotcha. And then towards its height. And now there are church communities in like every state.
4: And then, yeah some of those basic beliefs uh like if you had to um kind of do a uh (laughs) well no i'm second guessing i was gonna say if you had to do your like uh elevator pitch uh, for the yeah. <laughs> for the UC. But then I was like, wait, I don't want to put you back in that mindset. So maybe that's a bad idea. But uh.
5: that's funny. Uh, yeah. Okay. So basically, uh, key tenets of the Unification Church are number one that Reverend Moon and his wife are true father and true mother of mankind, here to save the world, basically in Jesus' place. Uh, because Jesus didn't do a good enough job because he died. (laughs) Uh, They're like, that guy failed at his mission. (laughs) Um, So they have come here to save everybody through the miracle of the blessing, which is basically uh, arranged marriage uh, through the church. Moon would choose uh, the spouses and uh, match them together. And then uh, supposedly through the blessing, you would have your lineage separated from Satan's uh, because everybody uh, was basically connected to the devil because of the fall of mankind, uh, which was not just Eve eating an apple, but actually Eve having sex with Satan and then having sex with uh, <laughs> with Adam and spreading the sin. Um, so that was the original fall, according to uh, mm. Moon, which is... Uh, One of uh, the belief is called like the serpent seed doctrine, not necessarily by Mooney uh, belief, but there are other beliefs uh, like popularized, I think, by William Branham. That was called Serpent Seed, which was basically the same thing Hmm. Uh,
3: comes from California, doesn't it?
5: I am not sure.
3: That's where he was active.
5: Uh Branham, yeah. I think he was also the Serpent active doctrine. in the Midwest because I believe uh I believe Oh, maybe Yeah, Chicago I think it too. was I think also Indiana because I think he might have I know Jim Jones was from Indiana. I think he was a mentor of Jim Jones as well uh, as well as several other cult leaders. Um and oddly enough, Jim Jones All also right. calls his uh his belief system the Divine Principle. So that's a little weird but yeah um, so yeah uncanny but anyway back to the uncanny. church you you get the blessing ceremony uh, you're supposedly not uh, connected to Satan's lineage anymore because it's basically like a blood ritual uh, supposedly moon would put a bunch of different uh, body juices into the old holy wine that was used for the ceremony and at this point um people have tried to test it for stuff and it's too diluted uh because they they have the ceremony where they called multiplying where they basically dilute it uh so that there's like still like remnant of like the original holy wine in every drop or every like bit that you get but it's just a little whoa. bit it's like barely
3: <laughs> Wait, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. there's like soup restaurants that there's super restaurants yes. that are like that right like we have a little bit
4: of our first <laughs> I batch so, yeah even today <laughs> the vintage <laughs> the vintage moon splooge they're putting vintage yeah. moon splooge
2: in the
3: wow, chalice no.
5: yeah yeah the it,
3: this obsession with oh lineage is fascinating it's isn't very it?
5: eugenicist like, it's really that's crazy. Crazy.
3: eugenics
4: yeah controlling yeah. the yeah. reproduction and the lineage 100%. of the people serious theosophical influence there mm. yeah that's wow. wild yeah i have to ask another question or two about that because i'm just i'm grappling with that revelation right now so you're saying even today uh they still dilute this ritual wine um in this ceremony with these these bodily bodily fluids
5: fluids. it's like diluted with more wine but in the original batch or something there were bodily fluids so that there's like if People have tested it now to like, because they were like, oh shit, is there still like any measurable amount of like whatever the fuck in there? Um, and there's not, they've sent it in to like get forensically tested. I think one of my friends got it done like that. But oh like God. back in the day, there was stuff in it <laughs> that you didn't want to be drinking.
4: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Is it is it known mm-hmm. that it was actually from Moon himself or is that kind of just a, a legend?
5: Yeah, it was it was from Moon, and that was uh the the point that he was cleansing your. It was okay. So basically, early on in the Unification Church, it was a sex cult. They practiced something. Uh, I believe it was called pronounced picarum, uh, which was basically ritual womb cleansing. This was also practiced by other Protestant um, groups in Korea at the time, but basically, it was like the leader of the church would have sex with you, and then your you would be pure or you would be like closer to God. Uh, so this was a thing back in the day. And then, uh, the, the holy wine ceremony came out of that as a way for moon to do that to large numbers of people, as well as, uh, some of the other weird moon, like moony sex rituals that were surrounding, uh, the blessing.
4: Yeah. I think there's a tinge of like Frankism and Sebastianism in that, uh, those traditions that you're describing, yeah. we, were, we were talking about that a little bit over the, over the GC. Wow, so that's so fascinating. Did you say you actually know someone who has tested or you've just heard about that? Do you just like sneak it out, sneak it out of the ceremony? So what
5: happens is basically you can just like get holy wine basically because they want you to like either give it out or like, I don't know, for some reason my dad has some in the fridge, you know, let's like just like take it home and then you can like multiply it on your own or whatever at home or whatever. So a bunch of people just have it. So somebody got a hold of that and was just like, I'm going to go send it in or whatever and see what's in it. Uh, and at this point, it's like, wow. eh, it's just wine, basically, or fruit juice or mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. But like,
3: do they go with actual wine or just just grape juice? Uh,
5: I've had it. I've had it both. <laughs> so I guess it just sort of depends.
3: Oh, they do either. Yeah, one. I
5: think it's kind of interesting because okay. I'm fairly sure that I've had it either in different places. So I think it's just whatever mm. you've got on hand. Maybe I'm not sure. I don't know exactly what the protocol for that is because.
3: Oh, wow. I have a more Catholic background <laughs> myself, so I'm. Inter- it's. Yeah, interesting I'll have to there. see if
5: there's anything in the bylaws that's like you can do this or this or this is the type of wine that you have to use. It's always it's always like a red. <laughs> um, so I don't
4: well, know. I mean, I don't know. I'm wondering about a white now, though. Like I'm wondering about a white when you have <laughs> a, when you've got moon <laughs> seed oh, when you've got his purifying uh, seed in uh, there, a oh, no. uh, chablis. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, A Belong, I don't... Oh, God. (laughs) Yeah, Pino Pinot Grigio. Oh, Penis Grigio? (laughs) Did you say Penis Grigio? Oh, God. very good. Um, good. I did.
3: So, esoteric Buddhist uh, uh, logic would very much separate the white from the red, you know? Those things couldn't Mm. mix, right? I mean, that's actually... You're really mixing that up, because it's supposed to be the blood of Christ, Mm. yeah? So... Yeah, this no, was like this a is
5: stew really... of like well, uh, interesting to blood, note, uh... tears, sweat, yeah. cum, who knows what else.
4: It's very transgressive. Yeah.
5: A certain number of fluids or something had to go into it. And I was like, are there even that many in the body? Like, where are wow. you getting these extra fluids from? Damn. Right? I'm like, what is it? Wow
4: there it's it's humoral are oh, we talking cool. humoral the humoral maybe. system maybe or you got to have your black bile your yellow bile this this is really taking the eucharist back to its
3: roots yeah. in a way though because what is it we forget you know that this is it's ritual cannibalism which is part of uh you can find that in archaeological digs, Chatel Hoyuk in Turkey. This is a real kingless generation kind of point here to make, but it goes way Go back it. archaeologically. Go off you king. Know? You it. get you get guys uh, salted and kept as fucking prosciutto men, uh, and they shave a little bit off for each feast, but and
4: Christianity You're saying this was a, a tradition in Turkey, in ancient Turkey?
3: We find these are from oh, you know, 10,000 years ago to 12,000 years ago. Um, PPNB, it's called the pre pottery Neolithic B phase, is when this type of ritual uh, begins to be seen in the archaeological record. Um, place like Ayan Ghazal in Syria, I think, or is, oh, it's in Jordan. Um, you see rituals like that. Um, It's really the Near East, the the cradle of so-called civilization uh, that you begin to see uh, ritual human Mm -hmm. sacrifice and ritual cannibalism as part of secret society rituals in spaces that are very small and narrow and closed off. Right. And so Christianity, you know, Eucharist, uh, what is that but a vegetarian version of, (laughs) you know, it's like a vegetarian option. Yeah. Uh, but this is really taking it back to its roots You know, the transgression yeah, yeah. The, the bodily fluids, yeah, mm-hmm. you know so there's, there's some power there, I think But the American connection oh, is, is key, I think oh, absolutely. It
4: feels tapped in It feels tapped into that kind of like a Mystery, tradition, lineage yeah. That so many um, secret societies
6: claim
4: mm-hmm. as well, too uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's very interesting In my view, we have gone way overboard on the soak the rich rhetoric.
1: Normally, when I think of the Washington Beltway Press Corps, I think of, well, not going to say it, wouldn't be prudent. But when I think of the Washington Times, I think of a publication that has brought much needed balance to the way Washington is covered these days. I know him in a professional capacity as a leader in the establishment of newspapers and magazines throughout the world, founded to serve and with a commitment to truth and objectivity.
6: (coughs) Respected guest from Washington, D.C., I established the Washington Times to fulfill God's this first desire to save this world. Absolute 6 is sent out of God. And free sex is centered on Satan. Historically, world literature and media have often stimulated free sex. But from now on, you literary figures and journalists should lead the way to prevent free sex. Free sex should completely disappear. What is the differences between men and women? This <laughs> truth. No, no, Of sexual organs are shaped as concave and convex. Why are they shaped that way? Therefore, everyone in one world has uh, opposed the liberal moon. Therefore, now, nobody can oppose me. Oppose me. Talking liberal, talking can't that. Bad. Ва! Остраль!